Hey friends, it's Mark James. It's Friday night and here I am recording for the last time on this iPhone. (laughs) Because I got the new one. Today is iPhone release day. If you generally felt some sort of heartbreak there that I was ending this podcast, um, that's really sweet. (laughs) I hope that's true. I hope some of you got a little bit worried for a second, but don't worry. I'm still here, not going anywhere. I've just got a new iPhone. I've got the iPhone 12 uh, Max Pro. It just got released today. And thanks to EE's upgrade program, EE, uh, everything everywhere they're called. I remember when they used to be T-Mobile and then T-Mobile merged with Orange. I think they bought them out and then they became EE, everything everywhere. And so, yeah, that's who my phone's with. And for £5 a month extra, which of course adds to £60 per year, you get the newest phone every time it comes out. And they make it super, super easy, the upgrade. I didn't talk to anyone. I clicked a link that I got sent in a text. I selected the options that I wanted and then I pressed OK. And it took about a minute and a half. That was a week ago. And then today on iPhone release day, I got an email saying there'll be a courier arriving between 12.06 and 1.06 p.m. And there was at like quarter past uh, quarter past 12, there was a knock on the door and boom, new iPhone and new AirPods as well, because my other ones were goosed. My other Air- AirPods got broke because I fell asleep with them in, in the bath. <laughs> Turns out the iPhone is um, waterproof, but the AirPods are not. So never mind. So at the moment, it's downstairs. I'm recording on this phone because all of the apps are currently downloading onto my new phone. I've done the whole thing where I've synced the data across and all of that sort of stuff, but the apps themselves are still downloading and that'll take a little while, I imagine, because there's a lot of apps on there. But that's good, right? That's exciting, a new phone. I mean, what's funny is once upon a time, that new phone, I'd have had it out of the box unwrapped, turned on, all sorted out, first job of the day, couldn't wait. I waited only for the new AirPods because my others literally conked out yesterday. Timing couldn't have been any better. And then I went out walking because I'm a grown-up. <laughs> and I didn't force myself to wait or struggle to wait. I opened the box, I looked at it and I went, yeah, there it is. Plenty of time for us to spend together. Don't need to get it all in there now. So... I had a quick look at it, put it away, and then it's basically sat all day waiting, and I've done loads of other jobs. I've hoovered the whole house. I've been for a walk. I went to the shop and got ice and stuff. Uh, I ate three chocolate eclairs from a box of four. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I uh, did some other work. I mean, it's been all right. You know, it's been a decent day. Uh, We posted up the new um, Rocky Roads, Thank you to Adam. Hiya, mate, if you're listening, for being the first person to bang an order in straight away. So we posted up this week's Rocky Road, Sarah and I. That's done. And right now, uh, Joshua has two late nights a week. One of them is in his room. He can stay up as late as he wants, but he's got to be in his room. And the other one is downstairs with Sarah and I. And they're both the nights that he doesn't have school the next day, Friday and Saturday. We figure it doesn't do him any harm. So tonight he's having his late night in his room because Sarah's at work tomorrow, which means that if he stays up late, Sarah will still go to bed at 11 and that'll be rubbish for him. He doesn't like that. So he's staying up late night tomorrow night downstairs and uh, tonight 
in his own room. So he's waiting to come up here and get into his bed and stuff and watch films all night. I'm going to uh, make some sandwiches and play Call of Duty, no doubt, with my friends. Um, what else has happened? I downloaded the Mac... Um, I downloaded the Messenger app for Mac. There's a new app on Messenger that allows you to uh, use Messenger, but on your MacBook, you know, instead of, what's it called? Instead of using the Messenger that's part of Facebook. I don't know if anybody else has noticed this, but for me, Facebook seems to be really slow on my computer. Everything else is fast. It's not me or the internet or anything. It's Facebook. I click my own homepage or I try to open the chat window just takes forever to load it drives you insane you wait and you wait and you wait and then eventually it loads oh it's a nightmare so there's a new app now that you can download and it puts just messenger onto your desktop as if it was you know photoshop or safari or whatever and you can have that open but not be on facebook which is really handy that will dramatically increase my productivity when i'm using the computer because i want to be able to be contacted but I also don't necessarily want Safari open or to be scrolling through messages because that's very distracting. So that's good. That's uh, that's good. I've downloaded it and I'm uh, it's there. It's working and it's faster. It's back to normal speed. So there we go. Anyway, on to other news. The famous serial killer, the Yorkshire Ripper, died today. Apparently he got coronavirus. He was in prison and uh, I think it was he in Durham. Was he in Durham jail? They call it the Monster Mansion because loads of um, horrible people are in there. Let me have a look where he was. Which prison? Which prison? Hang on, I'll just put Yorkshire Ripper death. So if you don't know, the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe, quite a famous um, famous serial killer in the UK. Um, Yorkshire Ripper death. Hang on, let me just find the details for you. Uh, Peter William Sutcliffe, dubbed the Yorkshire Ripper, uh, 22nd of May 1981, was convicted of murdering 13 women and attempting to murder 13 others. He was imprisoned at HMP, oh, he was imprisoned at HMP Franklin, yeah, that's Durham, Durham Jail, Category A, men's prison in Durham. Uh, it is a beast, that place, it's like, well famous for having the absolute worst people in it. Let's have a look at who else was in there. Um, anyone you might recognise. So Peter Sutcliffe, Harold Shipman. He was, of course, the doctor that killed uh, like 400 people. Quite a famous uh, famous British doctor who killed loads of people. They were like mercy killings, weren't they? But, you know, I'm not really sure on the details. Charles Bronson, of course, he's a famous one. Who's in there now that's famous? Um... Levi Belfield, he's famous, I think. What was what's he done? He English serial killer. Um convicted of multiple murders, yeah. Levi Belfield. God, he's a bad one. Three plus victims. Doesn't give you the exact details about it. I don't know, but anyway, the serial killer I've become most interested in of uh, recent times is um the Golden State Killer. Now, I was quite obsessed with this case because I read the book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Actually, you know what? I didn't. At first, I heard about the Golden State Killer on the Criminology podcast, and their coverage of the Golden State Killer became so famous that they took those episodes off all the free podcast apps, and they just moved it to Stitcher Premium. So you could only listen to those episodes if you subscribe via Stitcher, 
which is a paid service. Well, premium is. Anyway, let's not get into that. I'm not on it, so I don't care about it. <laughs> but their other episodes are very good about other killers, but that one got really famous. I became a bit obsessed with it, and then I bought Michelle McNamara's book. Michelle McNamara, of course, is the late wife of uh, Patton Oswalt, the comedian, who has a really funny bit about magicians, and so does Pete Holmes. If you want to see two funny bits of comedy about magicians, look for Pete Holmes on magicians and uh, Patton Oswalt on magicians. But anyway, so his wife had written this book, and she died before she'd had the chance to put it out. But Patton kind of, you know... Uh, finished it off with some, well, he I think he arranged it, but some other writers that she'd worked with finished it off. And it was very good. And it talked about the Golden State Killer and how he was this murderer that and rapist that was basically never going to get caught. His murders and rapes happened throughout the 70s, I think late 60s into the 70s, early 80s. And his thing, you may have heard about him, he had this thing where he would kind of break into houses and at first he raped all these women in uh, in California, kind of predominantly across California, Sacramento, L.A., um, Contra, Costa County, various different places. And then he started breaking. There was kind of news coverage on him and town hall meetings. And a guy said, oh, if he came into my house, I'd do this to him. And then two weeks later, he broke into that guy's house and he kind of seemed to be... Uh, respondent to news coverage you know he would say things that would get into the news and he would do things based on what the news said about him and he would take stuff from one crime scene and leave it in another crime scene and you know he, he would if there was two people in the house a man and a woman he would um forgive by the way the fairly matter of fact way that i'm talking about this but there's no other way to talk about it. You know, this is how the book deals with it. And this is the reality of it. Anyway, they caught this fucking piece of shit. So we can talk happily about the fact that he's going to die in jail. But he would wake the two people up and he would have the woman tie up the guy and take him into the kitchen. And then he would put like plates and stuff on the guy so that if they if the guy moved, he would hear them. And he would say to the guy, if you... Um, move at all and I hear the plates you know I'll kill her and I'll leave and he did all these crimes like a crazy amount of crimes it's horrific if you're interested in serial killers <coughs> as you know uh, binge worthy TV has made us all aware of the fact that serial killers exist and TV shows like Mindhunter and um, the guy who Mindhunter is based on by the way he's written his own book called Across the Table which is great and it's what Mindhunter is based on but yeah, I think people are interested in this dark kind of subject matter now. And his crimes were just crazy. Anyway, they took some DNA from one of his crimes in the 70s and they put it into one of these genealogy websites, you know, 23andMe and things like that, where you can essentially find out things about your family tree and, you know, whether you're, which countries your ancestors came from and all of these things. They put some of his DNA into one of these websites and it returned these results, what they called like a plus one result. So there were only one DNA match away from somebody that was in the website. And it's quite controversial. The UK have never used this as a crime solving technique yet because there's all these debates in the high courts about whether or not it contravenes privacy laws that people gave up their DNA for purposes that do not run in line with the catching of, you know, potential family member serial killers. But anyway, 
they found this guy. He was called the Golden State Killer, the original Night Stalker. He had all these different nicknames because police departments didn't have centralized computer systems and they didn't talk to each other. So you could commit two or three crimes in an area. Then you could go and commit those same crimes in a different area and nobody would realize that those two things were related because they weren't communicating. So he had all these different nicknames. And then eventually they used this DNA and they found this guy and they traced it to a few different people. Then they worked out that it was probably this guy and they waited till he left his, you know, car in the parking lot of a Best Buy or something like that. And they took DNA swabs from under his door handle that they knew had to be him. They matched them together. They found out it was him. And then they burst in and arrest this guy at his home. His name's Joseph James D'Angelo. And apparently one of the things he would do in these crimes in order to create a sort of dim environment to go about his horrific business is he would turn on the tv but he would throw like a blanket over it and when they went into his garage he there was like a chair that he was sitting in and there was a tv turned on it had a blanket over it and loads of stuff that you know they knew were taken from crime scenes were in this guy's um apartment and garage and stuff and he kind of immediately started playing it like he was uh unwell and mentally unfit and you know had dementia or something and he played that out for the last year but then eventually he just pleaded guilty in uh, august and he apologized in court like such a shitty sorry for my crimes i i'm apologized to the people i hurt i mean it just doesn't cut it does it but anyway he's been sentenced he's going to jail forever he's already in his 70s so he's going to die in jail but he's dead um so i was i was quite uh, sorry he's alive but he's in prison forever and i was quite kind of intrigued by his crimes because they have so many unique and unusual and interesting facets to them and i don't think it's not putting these people on a pedestal but it's taking it's putting their behavior under a magnifying glass i'm fascinated by what makes people act in an obtuse fashion and so i think there's there's something there's something the study of serial killers i mean we all watch that dennis nilsson drama didn't we a few months ago with david tennant which was brilliant people who feel like the need to do these things are just it's fucked up i mean jesus what makes somebody able to do that to another human being i just i don't know man it's wild but the uk's you know probably one of the uk's most famous serial killers the yorkshire ripper who murdered uh 13 I think they were all uh, sex workers. That was his kind of thing. He would get these women and that's how he procured and got them alone. And then he would murder them. And the crimes are horrific. But his name was Peter Sutcliffe. He was the Yorkshire Ripper. And today he's fucking dead. So good riddance to him. What a piece of shit. Apparently died from coronavirus. He refused treatment, but he went on hunger strike and did all sorts of stuff over the years to get attention and prove points. And he would nearly died a few times and they kept him alive and he was annoyed. But in this case, he refused treatment and they let him die. And it's a good thing, too. So uh, there you go. Anyway, a couple of other things. I did a show last night for a company called Red Shelf, which was amazing. They were super fun. A company out of Chicago. I told you I was doing it, but I did it. It's the first time I've done a Zoom show that was 30 minutes that was just me doing it on my own. 
I know that seems crazy because I've been talking about this kind of stuff, but I've been doing lectures for magicians, which of course I mix in videos of performance and I teach stuff, but it doesn't really require the polish of a show because they know that I'm teaching stuff, I'm pottering around, I'm going off on tangents and all of that sort of stuff. And generally my lectures on uh, the internet, virtual lectures, have been well received and I've been really happy with it because I do love sharing this passion that I have for magic with other people, uh, fellow magicians. So it's a joy, but it doesn't require the polish necessarily of, uh, of a performance, okay? And so I haven't really done any Zoom show performances. And then I did one for the Magic Castle on Saturday and that was brilliant, but somebody else was running the tech and I was only doing 20 minutes. So that was quite, that was hard and I was stressed about it because, you know, I wanted it to be good and it was good, but it didn't feel like a show. And so there were so many people on it, you know, there were like 400 screens or something watching it. It was ridiculous. So it was hard to keep track of what was what. This company, I think they had like 100 screens and I was doing 30 minutes, which is the longest Zoom show I've done. And it was me running all of the tech and taking the lead on it. And I absolutely loved it. I can't wait to do more. I've got another one on the 20th for another company uh, called Perkspot, which are a US company again. I think they're based in Chicago too, actually, Perkspot. Um, so I'm doing a show for them and that's going to be super fun. That's 30 minutes again. And this company that I'm working through in America, they're going to book me a ton more, I hope. And it's been super fun. Just got to keep doing them, getting nice testimonials and quotes and continuing to, you know, do a nice job. But I just wish I'd jumped into it sooner. Now, I kind of am going to push and book some private Zoom shows. So if you're interested in booking me for a Zoom show or perhaps being an audience member at one that I'll do for the public, where tickets might be like 10 or 15 pounds to view it, but it'll be done live for, you know, multiple tickets. Maybe there'll be less than that. I don't know. But I'm going to do it anyway. And I wish that I'd done it sooner. I realize about myself that I have to be pushed into things sometimes. Even though I know deep down that I'm capable of doing the thing, I sort of need a deadline to be forced into doing the thing. Like, I'm not kidding. Even 20 minutes before I did that show last night, I was in the room, like, working out bits of the show. <laughs> I'm not good at that. I leave stuff to the last minute always. I feel like it's how I do my best work. I'm always percolating on it in my, in my head. I'm letting my brain do a bit of the work, you know, behind the scenes. And I try not to... But I never finalize anything until the last minute. I never pack my cases till two hours before I'm leaving. You know, I'm just not that organized guy. But I do know what's going on in my head. I mean, even at Chroma, you know, this is funny. I, was, I knew I'd always wanted to produce a dove in my show ever since I first got into magic. And I tried and tried over the years. I got doves. I got rid of them. I got them. I got rid of them. I never got as far as doing it in the show. And then in the Chroma Pier Christmas show... I did it in rehearsals because I knew that if I put it in the show and did it in rehearsals, that I wouldn't be able to bottle out of it when the time came because the rehearsals were two weeks. So I thought, well, I give myself a two week deadline to get really good at it and I'll start. But if I mention it in rehearsals, I can't take it out. So it has to go in the show. And in the wings before I went out to do it, I was genuinely shitting myself. <laughs> but because I'd rehearsed it, it had to be in the show because that's how, you know, theatre shows with other cast members work. So 
I understand that about myself to the point that I sometimes need to be forced to do things. And I forced myself to do that. And, you know, deadlines on shows that are booked force me to achieve that deadline. I'm doing another Alakazam Academy lecture uh, a week on Tuesday. And the same thing is happening for that. I've written the set list. I made a trailer, a video that tells you what I'm going to do in that lecture. And I am going to do all of it. But I'm working on it very slowly. I mean, to be honest, a lot of it is stuff I've done in the past. But like the multiplying bottles routine that I'm teaching, I've been working on that solidly. I was ready to do it last night in my Zoom show, but I didn't do it because we ran over. So I never ended up doing it. To be fair, multiplying bottles did used to be in, in a show I did a few years ago as well. So, But I'm just rejigging it because I want it to be really good. I think it's one of those tricks that magicians really like and always dream of having in their show. And it's an it's a real never fail trick. I've never seen an audience not love that trick. Even when I first did it years ago and I wasn't very good at it, it still scored high. And then when it got good, it was really good. So now I feel like if I approach it again, and I have been, I've been working on it every day, it'll be, it'll hopefully be really, really good by the time I put it in my lecture or a week on Tuesday. But this weekend coming, I'm doing another Zoom show and I'm definitely putting it in that. So we'll see. I don't know. Anyway, that's today's episode. Um, what was it? New iPhone, serial killers, forcing myself to do things. <laughs> oh, speak to you tomorrow, friends. Have a good Friday.